0: Galatians chapter 5. Say amen if you're ready. Amen. All right. Remember, I just came back from Africa. I don't need a dead church today. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. I'm also probably going to talk really fast because for the last two weeks, I've had a guy standing beside me interpreting everything I said. So I'd have to say, you brothers and sisters. So it's nice not to have that. Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 13. You brothers and sisters were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. So that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Don't you like it how he says that? I'm not sure they're so obvious anymore. Verse 19, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. God, we pray that it would change us. We pray, Lord, that in this season, God, where a lot of us can get away, that we would take time to reflect on us and where we stand. We pray, Lord, that you give us the equipment to do that right now. Equip us, God, today to be good assessors of ourselves and what you would have us to do. We thank you for it. In Christ's name we pray and everyone said, Amen and amen. All right, you may be seated. We live in a review-crazy world. Um, I'm in the habit of, I don't buy anything without going to Amazon first and reading the reviews on it. Anybody else like that? Even if I'm not buying it from Amazon. If I'm in Walmart, standing in Walmart, looking at something on the shelf, I will stop and not buy it, get on Amazon, and find out how many reviews it has. Anybody else like that? Because... I'm of the opinion that if I'm going to buy something, I want something that somebody else has used and approves of. And so if I can find something on Amazon that's got 2,500 reviews or 3,000 reviews and it's got like a four-star better, I'm going, hey, I don't want to be the first sucker. (laughs) I don't want to be the first guy to buy it and go, man, this thing's terrible. I can find out from other people's experiences and so we become review happy with everything. If you stay in a hotel... As soon as you check out, you get an email from the hotel saying, hey, would you review your stay with us uh, at a restaurant? Uh, everybody knows that a lot of your sit-down restaurants now have the little kiosk at the table that you can pay. And what do they want you to do? As soon as you pay, hey, will you take a few minutes to give a review? Now, here the, here's where you find that the, it's a scam. Because what happens at a restaurant is the, the pleasant little waitress or waiter comes to you. And they say up front, hey, if you could give me a five-star review, it would be wonderful. And I'm thinking, well, (laughs) what do I get out of this? You've already done the work, but now you're trying to entice me to give you a score, not based on your work, but based on just that you got a nice smiley face and you don't want to get a bad review. So... I, so I'm all, I don't know about you, but I'm always like, sure, whatever. Give you a good review, no tip. No, I don't do that. I don't do that. But we do get review happy. It's like how we grade everything. Uh, some of you know my wife and I own a business in Morgan County, and we're on Facebook, and, and we tr- we try to get good reviews, right? Everything based off reviews. So we were open about a year, and somebody from California who I don't ever think has visited West Virginia. Now, our business is very, very localized. Like nobody outside of Morgan County uses it, and so we got this one-star review from somebody in California with no explanation. And I panicked. Went into panic mode because I'm like emailing the person, like, "Please take it off. I don't. You don't know us. I don't know what." Ah. Then God said, "Settle down, Chris." It's just a review on Facebook. I'm like, I know, but it's dragging our reviews down. So we live in this world where everybody wants to review everything, but what we find out is is that the reviews can oftentimes be skewed, just like at the restaurant. Hey, would you mind giving me a five-star? So the reviews might not actually be accurate. If we're asking for a five-star review up front, we're not asking for the truth. Hey, my promotion is based on reviews, so I need you to put a five star down. Period. I don't care if I refilled your drinks or not. Just give me the five star. And so, what we can do is we can build up reviews that make us look better than we actually are. And I don't know about you, but there's been seasons in my life where, where I've done that, where I've had a better opinion about myself than I was. Don't leave me hanging up here, I'm all by myself. Amen? Amen. There's been seasons of my life where I was like, I think I'm pretty good, and then when I really sat down to reflect, I realized I might not have been as good as I thought I was. And so, Paul here's right into the Galatians, and he says that we have freedom to do all kinds of things, but we shouldn't use that freedom in the wrong way. And we're the freest people on the planet, but we need to be careful with freedom. Amen. Amen. Be really, really careful with freedom. And he and he starts out. Uh, at verse 13 talking about that we have this freedom but we shouldn't use it just haphazardly and he says all the law can be summed up in this statement to love your neighbor as yourself and I started thinking man I wish my parents had have told me that was the only law I had to obey back when I was in school so It's be like hey I was loving my neighbor as myself I know I was out till one o'clock but big deal I was loving people uh, <laughs> so Paul says you fulfill all the law, the Ten Commandments. You fulfill it by loving your neighbor as yourself. So, now, in the Old Testament, neighbor was defined pretty narrowly. It was, it was Neighbor was defined as other Israelites were your neighbor. Jesus comes along in the New Testament and drastically expands uh, that definition of neighbor. If you remember in the parable uh, of the um, Good Samaritan, here's the jet lag. The parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus looks at the pharisee and says now who is your neighbor and he says well i guess the one that had compassion because jesus was expanding the definition of neighbor the pharisee had a big trouble big problem with it because now the definition of neighbor included a samaritan and so oftentimes in america we can culturally not like another culture of people because of because of current events that are happening and God kind of checked me on that. On this trip, we we had a layover on the way back overnight uh, in Qatar, which happens to be per capita the richest place on the planet. I'm like, Lord, I'm good here. <laughs> it's the cleanest city I've ever been in in my life. It's spectacular. But there's only 250,000 actual Qataris that live there. I didn't say Atari. I said Qataris uh, that live there. About two point something million people altogether. So when you get in a taxi cab, they're not, they're not resident, they're not national people that are driving the taxi cab. They're all from all over the place. And so we get in a taxi cab, try to strike up a conversation. So getting uh, on one cab ride, we're in there. I say, hey, where are you? So you're not from around here, right? He said, no, I'm from Pakistan. And I said, no, really? <laughs> um, so we're talking. Where are you guys from? We're from the U.S. And uh, we're just having a conversation. He's driving us around town. And my friend Tom in Kenya has this statement. He said, Chris, people are just people. Just settle down. Because you get all tense when you get there. You're like, man, if I teach this, will it be okay? And he'll look at me and say, Chris, people are just people. They do the same thing you deal with. They're trying to take care of their family, their kids. Trying to figure out how to get ahead. It's stressful about being a pastor. Stressful about their people. Just preach on what people deal with. So I started thinking about that. We're in this cab ride and... Uh, and I said, man, can you make a good living here? He said, Yeah, pretty good. I said, Do you have a do you have a family? He said, Yeah. I said, Are they back in Pakistan? He said, Yeah. He said, I'm able to, I'm able to um save up some money and send back to him. I said, Man, that's awesome. That's really good. I said, So you got kids? He said, Yeah, I got one little, one little, I think he said one little girl. And I was like, Oh, that's great. I said, I got two girls and a boy. And I made some off head comment about God bless me with a boy. And he said, actually in my religion, he said, if a girl's born first, that's better. I said, no kidding. He said, yeah, if you have a boy, that means the boy, God sent the boy to help you. He said, if you have a girl, it means God himself is going to help you. I said, dude, I'll buy into that. I'm all about I said, I had two girls up front. I need some help. You know what I was thinking when I got out of that cab? People are just people. Here's a guy working as hard as he can, driving a cab in the richest country in the world trying to send some money back to his family. I don't turn that into some big political statement because I don't do that. But God just reminded me that people are people. And my neighbor is a cab driver in Qatar who's from Pakistan trying to send money back to his family. It's just people. So Paul writes and says listen if you can get this right you can sum it all up if you could just love people the way you love yourself you could sum it all up so that's a really good place to start this summer is to ask yourself how you're loving people it's easy to say we love our family but how about the people that are extended outside how, how about the people that cuts you off how about the people that jumped in front of you at the self checkout at Walmart and then can't run the machine how about those people you loving on them lately how about it? People are just people. We've been called to love all of them. So then Paul goes into these two lists and we're going to talk the next four weeks about different areas of our life. But but um, I started thinking about the review process and and then I, I just recently bought tires for my wife's car. And uh, anybody ever uh, bought tires online? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I buy everything online. So I bought tires online and you go to places and and they'll give you the rating they'll give you good better best anybody ever seen that good better best and so you get to negotiate the price typically good is the is the lowest cheap you never get awful like well they're tires for my wife's car so we'll start at you know we'll go down there like here's the cheapest ones they start out at good but they're usually the cheapest ones and you get to the better ones They're usually a little more expensive than the best ones or the high-dollar ones. So what you have to do is you have to negotiate how much you're willing to pay for the quality of tire that you want. And so I'll be honest with you. I'm kind of a middle-of-the-road guy. Like, I don't want the worst one on the shelf, but I don't want to pay for the best one on the shelf. Anybody else like that? Now, there's some of you out there, some of you out there that only get the best. Who is that? Raise your hand. We're not going to ridicule you. I'm going to clap for you because you know know what the deal is. You're like, I want the best tire you can buy. Don't ask me any more questions. Just put it on the car. Tell me how much it'll cost. Anybody? Nobody? All right. We got one honest person down here. Good for you. Good for you. You're the only one that will get this sermon then. Because the rest of us are cheapskates. There's a negotiation that goes on in your mind when you go to purchase something like that because you see the rating beside it. You see good, better, best. Somebody has set that, good, better, best. And you see the rating, then you see the price differentiation between those classes, and you start to ask yourself, is the best really worth that? Because the better section is, seems to be a lot cheaper, and it's, uh, it seems like I can get away with it. How many of us spend our life getting away with it? That's me. It's like, man, I can, I, I can drive them better tires as far as you can drive the best ones. And so what I do is I negotiate. I don't want to spend that much money on the best, so I'll drop down a category, and I'll get the better. This can cause problems in our spiritual life. I'm just warning you up front. So Paul writes these two lists. They are probably not... Uh, the sin one is definitely not all-inclusive, but it paints a good picture. He starts out by telling you what the flesh, what the acts of the flesh are. And we can read them, starting in verse, six, starting in verse 19, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Let me back up. I don't think they're obvious anymore. I don't think, I think, I think Paul back then might be able to say, hey, these are obvious to us. I think we've been lulled into kind of a, Kind of a stigmatism of spirituality where it's not really that obvious anymore. Because, because we oftentimes get the order mixed up about how we're supposed to approach God and how we're supposed to live our lives. So things that Paul outrightly says are sin, we start to grade on how bad a sin it is. And we say, well, it's, come on, all of us have said it. It's not that bad. Right? You know, ever watch a movie and we go, oh, it's not that bad. Uh, I'll watch a movie on the plane because it's been edited. And then I'll come over and tell my wife, that was a great movie, but we can't watch it. <laughs> Unless we're on a plane. Because <laughs> they cut a lot of bad stuff out. So we tend to gauge sin by how bad it is. And if it's not that bad, then it doesn't make the list anymore. But you notice that's not what Paul does. He says this should be obvious to us. This should be an obvious list. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Some of those I think are probably obvious. Some of them we tend to grade how bad it is. He says, I warn you as I did before, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, list number one. That's the list. The second list he gives us is what the Spirit produces. What a relationship with God produces. What the Word in us produces. What what applying it produces in our lives. He said it is this. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and good old self-control. These are two lists that are... As far apart as you can possibly get. So, so he says at the front. Fulfill the whole law. Love everyone like you love yourself. And you'll fulfill the great commandments. And then we need to compare the list. There's two specific lists here. Of what our flesh produces. And what our spirit produces. What the spirit of God in us produces. And they, the two can't live in harmony with each other. There's a list. Of what Satan in us produces. And there's a list of what God in us produces. The trouble is. They're at war within us. Paul says in another place. That is a war going on between us. So constantly. Day after day after day. There's an evaluation of the list. Which one am I applying? In the moment. The problem is. We don't often take time to take a look at those. And see which one we're favoring. And so I always think about vacation as a time to, listen, don't spend seven days with your kids that are going, God just wants us to be better so we can have no fun this week. (laughs) Don't do that, but maybe take a few hours in the afternoon, sit out on the beach with nothing else to think about and say, God, will you do an assessment of my life? Let let me look back across the last six months and see which list I've been favoring. Let me compare. Has Has it been, have I been envious have I been hateful? Have I, have, I, have I idolized things in my life? Have I had sexual immorality in my, in my thoughts and in the way I'm living, impurity? So we've got to take an honest assessment. Now, this is the difficult thing. The rest of these are difficult, by the way. An honest assessment. Because we're the best people to lie to ourselves. We get so irritated when other people lie to us. There ain't nobody better at lying to us than us. I'm the greatest ever. Ask me. <laughs> so we need to look at specific areas of our lives. Our personal relationship with God, relationship with our spouse, or, or, or if you're not married, those closest to you. Our finances, our work, our, our life goals. How do these compare to the two lists? How do these compare to what the Spirit is supposed to produce in my life? The worst thing I could do at this point is not be honest with myself. Now, let me give you a little help in the assessment process because you're probably not a good assessor of yourself either. And what I find out is I'm always easier on myself than I am other people. You could have said amen to that. It would have told me that you're honest. I'm always easier on myself than others. I will excuse myself for things I will condemn other people for. Yeah. Come on, I know you do it. Yeah. You're condemning me right now over this suit jacket. <laughs> so here's what the Bible says. Psalm 141, I think it's verse 5. Uh, I mentioned this in Kenya. It says, let a, let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Can you imagine if we view correction as people being kind to us? Wow, won't that be a turn of events in our lives? If we actually viewed the correction of righteous people as kindness to us, they're doing us a favor. Like if we invite the right people into our lives who can give us a correct assessment of where we are in our life and how we're operating, it'd be a kindness to us. matter of fact, the psalmist said, it's, it's like oh, it, this is... Oil on my head. In the Old Testament, oil referred to the anointing of God, God's spirit on your life. And so if you're, if you're inviting correction into your life, it's like the anointing. It's like God's presence over your life. And there's no shortcut to this, I hope you know. There's no, there's no way you can get around it and just go, oh, I'm going to have God's anointing without correction. Because the two are not mutually exclusive. One comes from the other. And so he says, let a righteous man strike me. It's a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It's like oil on my head. My head will not refuse it. And then if you go to the next one, uh, it's a proverb. You've heard this before. And as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Now, I don't know. Has anybody over here actually sharpened a knife? I know some of you have. You ever sharpened a knife? Whatever you sharpen a knife with, the thing that you sharpen it with has to be harder than the knife. You can't sharpen a knife with softer metal. So what you do is you ever had a kitchen, uh, one of those... um, Steels a kitchen steel. That kitchen steel is sharper than the is is harder than the knife that you're going to put up against it. So what this tells you in your life is you've got to have better people bumping up against you. Dads, you have to have better dads bumping up against you. Husbands, you have to have better husbands bumping up against you. Wives, you have to have b- b- women that are better at being a wife bumping up against you. Because if we're always around people that are just a step under us. But you know what? It feels so good when you're better than everybody else. It's just like, I'm better than all my friends. That's because you picked them. <laughs> you know what I found out recently? Uh, I said this the first service. It's kind of funny. Uh, and I'll say it again because Sam laughed and I knew it was okay. <laughs> I, um, anybody ever gotten a card saying, like, you're the best dad ever? It's not true. I'm just letting you know it's not true. I've gotten cards saying I was the best husband ever, best dad ever, and I realize, no, I'm not. Probably not even close. Realistically, there's somebody out there better than me. But it feels good when they tell me. And so we want to surround ourselves with people that tell us we're the best. And we want to keep them around us. Like, oh, they make me feel so good. You're the best pastor ever. I'm like, no, I'm not. There's a guy in Kenya better than me. For real. So what happens is it becomes a shock to our system when that's all we've heard and then we find out something else. When we surround ourselves with people that just tell us the best about ourselves, then it's a shock to our system when they actually tell us the truth. So I'm getting stuff that says I'm the best husband, best dad ever. And I got on Facebook the other day, Sam's wife's telling him he's the best ever. And I'm going, well, somebody's not right. Someone's not right. Laura writes this big old long thing about how he's so good. He's the best. And I'm going, wait a second. Wait a second. A couple weeks ago, my wife was telling me I was the best. Wake up, wake up, make a decision. <laughs> so we surround ourselves with people who will give us five-star reviews up front before we even serve them, before we even love them, before, no matter what we do. Hey, how am I doing? You're doing great. When that's not how any of us get sharp, the Bible says. The Bible says we rub up against people who are sharper than us. Who are harder than us. And we rub up against them, and every swipe, every time we rub up against that person that's harder than us, it it, it, it refines us, it sharpens us a little bit. It gives us it, it benefits us. But the problem is, is it's the friction that causes the problem. We don't like it. We don't like people being better than we are, and then we don't like finding it out. We don't like the expectation that we need to lift ourselves up a little bit, but it's a necessary thing in our lives. It is a necessary thing. So, so with me, I don't trust myself to give me the whole evaluation. Because I want, I want to hear I'm the best dad ever. I want to hear it. And so I'm apt to believe it when I, when I hear it. So then I need to bring people around me that said, hey, there, you can improve in this area. So uh, the end the last year, beginning of this year, I started this thing where I do uh, uh, pe- about eight people in the church. Because I don't trust all of you. About eight people in the church get an email every week with a form they can fill out with a, for a sermon review. And, uh, and so what they'll do is they'll, um, there's uh, good, better, best. <laughs> I don't put awful because I don't want them to hurt my feelings. Um, <laughs> I think I have needs improvement on there. But then I'll let them make comments. You want to feel insecure overnight? Allow people to anonymously comment on your life. You better pull your pants up. Put your belt on tight. So, uh, so at the beginning, most of them were somewhat polite. And then, um, and then I started getting some real comments. And I thought, some of them were right. Okay, I could improve in that. I could be better at that. And so, so when the first somewhat negative comment came in, I didn't end the program. I upgraded the program and said, tell me some more. So I keep sending them out. Matter of fact, I checked it yesterday. I just keep sending them out. I want want sharp, hard people to rub up against to make me sharper. Listen, we need to get over. if If we can strategically set these people in every aspect of our life, you can stay sharp. So if I can have sharp people over me, which everybody wants the sharp leader over them, everybody wants that. But the trick is, is when you put sharp people beside you, because then they may look better than you at the same job. That takes humility to say, hey, listen, I can work beside somebody that's better than me. And because I'm working beside them and they're better than me, that I'll become better by default. Now, the really, really hard part is to put sharp, hard people under you. Because if you place them under you, there's a risk that they could then overtake you. But if you can put that 360 degrees around your life, I'm not afraid or intimidated by really hard, well honed people, then, then we can stay growing. We can, we can keep achieving the spiritual list, not the flesh list. I could keep the people around me that'll say, Chris, you weren't kind enough today. You didn't show enough love today. You need to back it up and, tr- and hit the replay button, bro. You need to start that over. You need to think about tomorrow how you're going to be kind at work and how you're not going to lose your temper and how you're going to do this and how you're going to do that. And, and oh, Chris, uh, you know, hey, why don't you clean this up? And I have to be able to accept it all the way around my life. What if my kids were able to look at me one day and say, Dad, not disrespectfully, because I'll slap them right. <laughs> What if your kids were able to look at you respectfully and say, Dad, I wish you'd spend more time with me? I don't want to hear it. I'm busy doing the Lord's work. No, but I can let somebody underneath sharpen me from the bottom up. Can't we do that? So we surround ourselves with people who we trust, believe in, who we know, who have proven themselves, and we allow them to... To, we allow them to do that in our lives and, and allow them to speak into it, and we invite it. And, and so at the beginning of the year, um, Donna helped me do it. We passed out a 360-degree survey. Uh, some of you got it. If you didn't fill it out, you're probably not going to heaven, and that's <laughs> – can't complete it. So we got the reviews back, and I, um, I didn't like some of them. i have do this 18 years. I'm better than you. Then I got the reviews and found out I wasn't. Now, they were, for the most part, positive, but some of the comments, I thought, oh, yep, they're right about that. Oh, there's another one on the exact same issue, right about that. So I didn't ball it up and throw it in the trash. I took it, and I uh, I, I didn't know who filled it out. Donna took care of all that stuff, gave me the results, and I sat down and kind of put the results so they didn't look so bad. Uh, <laughs> no, I just pulled the stuff out that I, I, I that I got lower scores on, and I, I pulled the stuff out, and I actually read it to the staff. And I went, "Hey, this is these are the things I got. I actually read the whole thing to the staff. These are the things I got the results on, and these are the th- ones that were lower that, and they're all included. The ones that I think uh, could show some improvement. Then I took them to a counselor, and I said, uh, "Hey, I just did a 360 review. Marriage is falling apart." Jobs, terrible. I don't know what to do. God, I didn't say that. <laughs> <sighs> I said, I did this 360 review, and, um, and I think there's some areas to improve. Could you help me walk through it? Because at the end of this, I don't want it just to look like I'm trying to get better. I want to get better. And so the guy I go to is very upfront and honest and trustworthy and is not afraid to tell me what I need to hear. And so I sit down in front of him. He said, Chris, if you organize these things this way, the next time you come back to me, we can start tackling them one at a time and, and get, them into, get, get them into factions so we can start dealing with these issues in your life. And I said, Thank, thanks, man. I need to hear that. He didn't say, oh, forget about it. That, those things are silly. He said, no, we can, we can tackle this and you become better at the end. So when I hold myself honestly up against the spirit list, I get a clear definition of who I really am. And you need to invite those people in your life that are willing to do that for you. Listen, the insecure people around you are never going to tell you really the truth about yourself because they're afraid that that you might do the same to them. So it's time for you to put really secure people around you so that they can say, hey, bro, that's the thing. Let's deal with that. Now, don't get a list of 70 things because then it'll be too much. Stack of one at a time. But we can, we can get help. You're not stuck having to do it all by yourself. You can get a clear assessment. So we compare the list. Am I, am I leaning more towards the flesh and those, those things that Paul says are obvious or am I leaning more towards the spirit? Then I take an honest assessment of myself. I invite people into my life to say, hey man, this is what's really going on. This is what I see. Then we do the most difficult thing. We apply the fix. James has a comment about this in his letter. And he says he says that people that look into the word but then don't do what it says are like somebody that look into the mirror and forget who they are as soon as they walk away. We, talk, we talked about this before. Like actually knowing what to do but not actually doing it is, is a definition of silly. You ever sat down with somebody that knew everything but never did any of it? you love eating dinner with those people? You bring up some topic that maybe you've done it, and uh, you're just bringing up the topic, and they go, oh, yeah, they know the encyclopedia about that thing. Hey, you ever done that? "No. No. I'm like, you have no clue what you're talking about. You've never actually even done it before. Yeah, but I know all this stuff. It's pointless to know Scripture and not apply it to your life. It's almost the same as not knowing it, if not worse than not knowing it. Because now I know the truth. You have the opportunity to be set free and you don't take it. So what we do is we hear the word and we know what to do. We hear the truth about ourselves and then we go, ah, uh, I'm going to save that for another day, man. Uh, it's just too much right now. I, can, I just, can't, just can't handle it all. And we just ignore it. And, and James is saying, don't look at it. Apply the word to your life. Apply the word to your life. Now, this is where it gets tricky because John 10:10 10, 10 says the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, "I've come that they must have life, that they may have life, and have it to the full." Now let's go back to the good, better, best. All right, good, better, best. Ready? Here's the problem: the good. I'm still going to heaven. Jude says, "As one escaping through the flames." I mean, you still getting to heaven? You've got to live a good life, so good in heaven. But the better is going to cost you more. See, that's the problem. The, better will cost, the best will cost you a lot. So what we do as Christians is we negotiate between good, better, best. We go, I'm getting to heaven. It's not costing me a whole lot right now. I'm not having to make the sacrifices. I can live kind of the way it seems like I can live the way I want. I know God's not 100% pleased with everything, but I am saved. Surrender my life to Him, and I'm, I'm trying to figure it out. I'm not really putting a lot of effort into it. It's good. And we negotiate how much it's going to cost us for the return. And because spiritually, whenever you jump a step, whenever you jump from good to better, it's going to cost more. And whenever you jump from better to best, it's going to cost a lot. The issue is, God did not judge us that way when He sent Jesus. He didn't say, ah, oh, the people in Hedgesville, mm, half Jesus. He never did that to us. He never went, the people in Hedgesville, I mean, you know, it's a country little town, one stoplight. They don't need all of Jesus. Gotta be a waste to pour all Jesus out on them. Just country people out in Hedgesville. He gave us all. The best. For God so loved the world that He gave everything. His only son, that whosoever believed will not perish, but have everlasting life. He never He never tried to negotiate a deal. He just gave everything. And what we do in our spiritual life, we try to negotiate the deal. I know the best is out there, but it's so expensive. I can get away with a little less. I can get away with good. I can get away with better. And God is coming around saying, yeah, but I came that you might have life to the full. If you would purchase the deal. And while salvation was purchased on our behalf by Christ and it is a free gift to us, living the fullness of God in our life is going to cost you something. And we constantly every day make the trade off. It's good enough. It's good enough. It's good enough. It's not that bad. It's not that bad. It's good enough. And when it comes down to it, the best always costs you more. It always costs you more. It costs you more time. It costs you more money. It costs you more talent. It costs you more your ability. It costs more to live the full life. Listen, floating on a raft down Back Creek Valley is not the same as a yacht in the Persian Gulf. I've seen both of them. And Pastor Don can tell you the yacht we saw in the Persian Gulf, I'm like, tell me how much, baby. I want to get on that thing for a night unbelievable and, and, and somehow God is putting the yacht the spiritual yacht out in front of us saying you can live with no regrets you can live you can live regret free you can live in peace you can live full you can live generous but it's going to cost your investment and we go I'll take the raft in Back Creek Valley I'm still going to heaven I can still get my feet wet but I can get that at Walmart on sale for $9.99. And I think God sometimes looks at us and says, my son costs a lot more than that. I wish you wouldn't cheapen the deal. I put better out there for you. I put it out there for you. And so we have opportunities all the time. We look into the Word, and the Word analyzes our motives and our heart, and it does all those things. And Paul makes a list here of here's what your flesh produces, here's what the spirit produces. Why don't you gauge your life by those two things? Why don't you take a time? Why don't you take time this summer to really sit down and see which one your life is favoring? See if you're willing to purchase the best in this scenario. Because I don't know about you, but there are a lot of reviews on the best. And they're all good. They're all five stars. Listen, there's no four-star reviews on the best. There's nobody that's put it. Paul didn't get to the end of his life and go, man, I wish I just hadn't put it all in. Wow. What a disaster this turns out to be. I've never heard anybody that's went after the best life God has for them and then turned around and went, man, it wasn't worth it. They've all said, man, if I had more, I'd give it all to him. If I had more time, I'd give it to him. Paul said to, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But he said, I'm still here on this earth. And he said, if I'm still here on this earth, it means God's got more good things for me to do. And he said, I'll keep keep giving him everything to accomplish that. Because the best is always worth it. It's always worth it. So we, we compare the list. We take an assessment of our lives, which you always have to invite other people in on that. You're never going to assess your life just by yourself accurately. You have to invite other people in. And then we apply the fix. The band's going to come up. We apply the fix. The most difficult part of it is apply the fix. Apply the fix. Apply the fix. Lord, give me more kindness. Give me more goodness. Give me more self-control. Don't let me shortcut the process. Give me the ability to carry it out the way you've called me to. I want to experience the best life. And let me say this, when you start investing in the spiritual production of your life, loving other people will be a byproduct of it. So remember what he started out with? Love your neighbor as yourself. If we're bending towards what the flesh produces, it'll never happen. But when we buy the best, when we go online and we say, you know what? I won't settle for anything else but the best. The byproduct of the fruit of the spirit, the byproduct of what the spirit produces is love for other people. So will it cost you more time? Yeah. Will it cost you more money? Absolutely. Will it cost you more of everything? Absolutely. Will the return be worth it? You better believe it. You better believe it. It's worth every second, every piece of emotional energy you can put into it. It's worth it all. When you look back at the end of your life and you say, man, look at what produced out of my life. It wasn't debauchery or jealousy. It was the fruit the Spirit produces. And out of that fruit the Spirit produces, everybody around me felt loved. Everybody around me was loved. Everybody I came into contact with. So whether it's a person at the 7-Eleven in Hedgesville or a Pakistani cab driver in Qatar, they can feel what the Spirit produces in your life. So here's what we're going to do. The next, well, we're already done today. Next three weeks. Take an opportunity to look at different sections of our lives. All of you are like, oh man, I'm going to be on vacation the next three weeks. I think this is a great time of year to do it. Because we're, we're going to be taking vacation. We're going to be having some downtime. Hopefully, we're going to have some time to reflect. We should take that opportunity. Invite people into your life. Maybe write some people that you know a letter. Say, hey, would you would you mind just assessing me? Maybe people at your work. Get some thick skin. Let people say something to you that's not pleasant. Get some thick skin. Let's do it. And let somebody say something to you gonna be meaningful, not patronizing. I know you're the best. Let's be better. Let's do it together. Amen. Come on, let's stand to our feet. Let's pray that God would give us the strength to do this as a church. Father, we thank you this morning. Lord, I count it your grace that you don't judge us, but you give us opportunities to come to you. I count it your grace and mercy on my life that you allow me the time to realize my sin and then repent of it. You don't judge me immediately, Lord, but you give me the grace. And so, Lord, we pray that in the next few weeks you would do that in our lives. Lord, we pray we surround ourselves with people that will tell us the truth. We pray that we'd look into your word and we'd learn the truth, God. We pray that we'd then be able to apply it to our lives. And Lord, we pray that we'd never settle again for something other than, than what you have for us. Lord, you came to give us life and life more abundant, life to the full. And we pray, Lord, that we would be connoisseurs of your full life, that we wouldn't settle for anything less. There's no fast food in the kingdom. It's all the best. And so we pray, Lord, that you'd give us an appetite for it. God, that whatever it costs, we would pay the price. Whatever it costs, we'd make the investment, God, to experience your best life for us. No more just getting by. God, we want to live rich in your kingdom because we did it your way. We thank you for this opportunity, Lord. And God, today I pray if there's if there's people here that have never experienced your love, never experienced your grace or forgiveness, I pray that they make that decision this morning. I pray that they'd reach out to you today as you're reaching for them. And I pray they'd, they'd repent of their sins, Lord they'd realize that you came to forgive them and they'd accept you this morning and experience that wholeness and that love and that forgiveness for the first time today. I pray that you would save them today in Jesus' name. Transform them, make them new this morning and let them feel your love today. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for it and we say amen and amen. Could you you thank him this morning for what he's done?